Is it too early to punt roto categories? Is it too early to cut bait on your fantasy stars? Is it too early to splurge in fab? Is it too early to ignore preseason projections? We'll answer these and other is it too early questions on this week's show. Plus, we'll have waiver wire, pitcher preview, and injuries with Ruvain. SiriusXM's Glenn Colton joins us next on Beat the Shift. Welcome to another episode of the Beat the Ship podcast. I am your host, Ariel Cohen, and with me as always is Ruvain Guy. How are you, Ruvain? I'm doing great. How are you doing today? Pretty good, other than my softball game the other day. Oh, uh, we, we, uh, I pitched a great game. We were down 3-2, to two, bottom of the seventh. We had the bases loaded and one out, and I come up to bat, and I hit into a double play game over. Oh. That sounds that sounds like the Mets. I mean, are you trying to replicate them? I mean, what are you trying to do uh, there? Well, we scored three run, uh, two runs. That's more than the Mets have done in typical games lately. So, uh, what a shame. How's your week? Week's going fine. I'm enjoying watching baseball with the weather getting nicer and hopefully with things heating up. Hopefully, power will be heating up. I want to see more home runs. I know everyone wants to see more home runs. I want to see more offense. I want to see how the pitch clock plays in this new era of baseball throughout the heart of the summer. Yep, it's uh, getting later in the season, and it's our it, it Is It Too Early episode. We've got a fantastic uh, guest today. You might know him. He's been on the show before. Welcome back to the show, Glenn Colton. How are you, Glenn? Doing well. Always a pleasure to join you guys. Appreciate the invite. Ariel, I have to ask you a question before this gets oh, started. Sure. You come up with the bases loaded and a one-run game. Did you swing at the first pitch? No, I did not. Good. Uh, yeah, the count. I'll was, stay on uh, the show because if you yes. said you did, I would have been like, "Okay, guys, I gotta go." No, I took a I took a strike, two balls, fouled off one, and then uh, grounded a third. The guy about a two bouncer. He had to hurry up, and he threw. I think for, I, I I was told he threw from his knees across the diamond and got me by two steps. So, mm. uh, <laughs> but no, I did not swing at the first pitch. Good. Yes. All right. Well, we're going to jump right into it, as we usually do in our strategy section. We'll get to it. Is it too early a little bit later? But uh, I just want to get your take, uh, Glenn. And, you know, it's been over a month, couple of weeks already into the season. And um, first of all, you know, just just your take on what you did going into the season in terms of draft strategy or draft plans. What did you do this year? that was maybe a change from what you focused on in prior years, if any? Yeah, I don't think we, we you know, Rick Wolf and I, Colton the Wolfman, we do uh, all these industry leagues together. So uh, we, we, stick, we stick to our smart system. We stick to our rules of engagement. But the one thing we did a little bit differently this year is we put even more emphasis, especially in the auction leagues, on offense. We just, pitching is so hard to predict and the injuries are so substantial, which has certainly borne itself out this year, that we just wanted to lock down, um, you know, a really good offensive team. And, and that's what we even paid more attention to that. Most of the $260 auction budgets, we were 200 on offense and just 60 on pitching. That's so funny. And you play mostly in, in the mono leagues, I think. Um, do we do both? You we know? do both. Uh, yeah. 
Yeah, uh, I mean, for, for mono leagues, you know, our offense dominates a little bit more than it does in a mixed league. Uh, my strategy going into this year is actually almost the opposite, is I focus more on pitching. Uh, the the waiver wire I find, I find in recent years has been so barren for starters, and I don't want to stream starters. Uh, I just don't. Uh, and one of the plans this year was to really just go with either more starters being drafted in the auction or I'm just going to go with relievers, middle relievers, guys who get saved, even guys who don't, guys who will vulture wins. Uh, I think that's a better strategy in terms of getting the, the pitching going. Uh, I found not a lot of success with streaming pitchers in the past couple of years. What about you, Ruvain? I think we try. Oh, one of the things that we tried to implement is to stay away from having too many injury-prone guys or guys who are injured in the off-season, not ready to play to begin with. And the season starts because if you have too many injury guys to begin with, there are so many injuries during the course of the season. You're falling so far behind the eight ball in counting stats that it's so hard to be able to catch back up. Yeah, that, that's a good point. Stay away from guys who you know are injured already. You know, because there's plenty that are going to get injured. Glenn, have you found that? focusing on the offense has helped you so far this this year it yeah it, it absolutely has because um we're doing very well we're in contention in pretty much all the leagues we are in we're currently in first place in labor al which has been a lot of fun nice. and you know it's uh, we're going for ring number six in that one so that would be exciting one for the other hand uh, but you know i think that the what you guys were saying about not getting that fifth starter on a bad team, you know, not streaming. It, by not spending a lot of money on pitching, we actually do have that strong setup guy instead of another starter. And the setup guys invariably cost very little draft capital. And those guys get wins, they get strikeouts. And, you know, even, you know, a guy like Matt Moore, for example, you know, who I really liked as a last guy to pick on, on a draft, coming in, getting two, three Ks, Winning a game, you know, every week it seems, uh, you know, that's worked out. Yeah, that's true. That is true. Uh, uh, going shorter on the pitching, and you know, and, and you, I, I've seen you do this before. Is you go for those uh, those middle relievers or or potential closers even, uh, and that and that definitely has worked out. I, I, for me, I, I spent more money on the let's call it an SP three four range, uh, the Drew Rasmussen, Pablo Lopez, Jeffrey Springs, which was working out for a short time. Uh, you know, spent you know an, an extra pitcher. So if it's we're talking like a ten dollar, fifteen dollar pitcher. Got an extra one, so we've spent that pick in offense to go to pitching. Also, also drafting the middle reliever. We drafted. We had a lot of shares of Andres Munoz. We have a lot of shares. I know on the waiver Duran. wire, we, we, Duran. We have a bunch. Even if they're just a, a possible share in the closing, there you have a lot of great counting stats. A lot of great ratios there. The strikeout ratio is great. So, you know, if you don't want to, you know, jump off the deep end with those number five starters, you throw those other guys, and they stabilize your ERA and WHIP. And you can, and if you throw those guys out even now, and your ERA and WHIP is t- toward the bottom, they can help stabilize so you can throw those two-star pitchers later on. Right. So we've come a couple of weeks into the season, and it always begs us to ask the question, is it too early to do things? Is it too early to give up? Is it too early to punt certain things? So I want to spend today's episode for the listening audience here and just talking about some, hey, is it too early to do this and get our take on uh, when is the right time or Maybe it is already the right time on things. So let's start it off, Glenn. Um, first question for you. Is it too early to give up on winning if you're currently last place in your league? 
It is too early, with one exception, and that is if you are playing in a dynasty league or a keeper league, and you have the opportunity to change your next three to five years by moving early off of winning this year. But other than that, if you're in a redraft league or you know a league that anything other than keeper dynasty, it is just too early. I have certainly been in situations where we have been in 10th, 11th place at this stage uh, and have won leagues and we've seen people rise through the standings and overtake us when we were winning and somebody else was way down in the standings. It, it's what, maybe less than 25% of the season is, is in the books. There's a lot of baseball to be played. Ruben, do you agree? I think it depends on the type of roster that you have. If your roster is all injured and you're hoping them to come back, and then when they come back, they're able to produce, then it's not too late. But if you have guys who are already gone for the season, you have no chance of getting them back, and you don't have the guys on your roster to make up in the county stats that you have, then yes, it may be too late. Um, ratio stats, don't worry too much with ratio stats. The ERA, whip, you can make those a batting average. You can actually make those off over the course of the season because usually in baseball, averages even out. So you can make that stuff up but if you're behind in the counting stats and you guys are injured and are not coming back you, you may be a little bit too late if you're in dead last yeah i i agree with glenn on this one i, I think it is way too early if you are in a keeper dynasty league then maybe your focus should be okay am i going to play for this year or for the other years and you know you might want to make that decision a little bit sooner uh glenn do you think when do you think it is the time when you say, all right, I'm in last place, it's probably not going to happen this year. Is it? Is it June? Is it July? What, what, what do you think? Yeah, I think it's probably, you have to really start seriously doing that thought process right around Memorial Day, but it's probably not till sometime around the you know, middle of June. But again, if it's a redraft league and you think you're not going to win, well, you know what? Roto leagues and head-to-head leagues, they require you, and the whole integrity of the league requires you to do your best. So then you just set a new goal. In a 12-team league, if you're in 12, say, I'm going to get to sixth. I'm going to get to the top half. Like, you don't, I can't win, but but I can move up. And I play in a couple of leagues, one of them, the FSGA Champions League, where there is relegation. So if you come in the bottom two, you're relegated out of the Champions League. So nobody... Uh, kicks in, kicks it in. Right. No, that's a great rule for leagues. Uh, yeah, I I think the June 5th is probably around the time where realistically, if you're in a redraft, if you're in last place, it's probably not going to happen. But under no circumstance should you quit. Um, it's your responsibility to the others in your league to really play fairly. Now, should you spend hours and hours on fab each week? I, I can't tell you to do that. But you know, if you have an injured player, replace him. If you line up set every week the right way, you know, don't don't do that to your league mates. Um, but what about punting certain specific rotisserie categories? If you're in roto, Glenn, do you think it's too early to say, you know what, I've got like five saves, the next person has twelve saves, maybe I should punt that, or uh, maybe ratios? If you've blown up your ratios in pitching, you've got a seven ERA. Uh, do you say, listen, I'm just the Oakland Athletics and I'm just going to live here. I'm I'm not going to gain many points. Let me just focus elsewhere. Uh, and, you know, 
and do something else. Do you think it's too early to give up on certain specific rotisserie categories? Yeah, I still think it is too early at this stage. You say, okay, I only have five saves or whatever. But, you know, then things happen. Every day something happens. All of a sudden, Jose Alvarado is now hurt. And I think Craig Kimbrell is going to get saves, right? And all of a sudden, uh, Liam Hendricks, and so great that he's back, uh, you know, pitching, is all of a sudden maybe on the wire in some certain leagues. You know, there's and there are so many teams with bad closing situations, um, some of which we'll talk about in our waiver wire section later. But I think it's way too early to give up now. Again, you get to middle of June and you see, okay, I can give up. Let's say my ratios are bad. I'm just going to load starters to try to win wins and strikeouts. I mean, okay, but too early right now. So I used to actually think that it was about the right time in Roto Leagues to say that. If you've blown your ratios, just start streaming all the pitchers, two-start pitchers, you know, load up on Ks, you'll get more wins. Um, given That's only given if you have closers. So I, uh, Ruben and I were once in, a, in an NFBC league where we had just absolutely terrible ratios and then we, and we I think we had Noah Syndergaard we had a bunch like a couple of good starters and they were out at a commission but we did have good closers so we were going to finish relatively high in saves so we said you know what how do we maximize our pitching points I think it's just to ignore the ratios for now just focus on volume just you know load up on starters and actually we made it and we finished in second place in the league because we made that determination now however i don't think that's the case anymore i think that when you're looking for wins in your fantasy league um pitchers are pitching less and less past the fifth inning like two star pitchers used to be oh wow i've got two shots to win that's not the case anymore starters who fifth starters on teams who are available on your waiver wire pool might only go four and two thirds. Like look at Johnny Brito. He couldn't make it to five innings against the Oakland athletics with the lead. You know, I I had him in one league. He's not going to get a win, even though he's against the A's. Um, There are fewer starters that can do that. So the effect of doing, doing the two star pitchers and volume to get your wins, not as great. And the same thing with strikeouts because they're not in that many long. They're not giving you the volume that they used to. So to abandon the ratios and say, I'm just going to make it up with pure volume, I don't think is a viable strategy anymore in today's baseball environment. Although I did it one time. Do you agree, Ruben? No, I, I think you can do that, but I think it's too early to do that. The only category at this point and this early in the season, I mean, we're only six weeks into the season, seven weeks in. I think the only category you can think about punting is saves because if you had the wrong, if you drafted the wrong closers and you're really bottom, it's going to be very hard to catch up because the way bullpens are today, there's so many pitchers vulturing saves that it's hard to pick the right guy and are you going to spend all your fab on that or are you going to spend your fab elsewhere? I don't know if anyone wants to spend all their fab on, on relievers to try to catch up in just one category. So it may still um, be better to go after those two-star pitchers, but not yet. I think the guys right now, even even if you're not going to get the wins, even Johnny Brito against the A's didn't get the win, but he's still a guy who has a chance of getting a win, and that's better than some guys you may have your te- on your team right now. Well, what about steals, Ruvain? Can you punt steals if you're very low? I don't know. You've got a, no. You had a no? 
No, no. I I think in today's day and age, the way steals have gone up, I think steals are going to be easier to get. I think they're going to be when, especially when you're going to have more injuries. Younger players will come up, and when they come up, they're usually faster and they usually steal more. But what you should look for is look for the teams that are stealing the most. Look at the Pirates. Look at the teams that that run a lot. And those are the guys. Those are the guys who, are, when they bring guys up, target those guys because you may get a, a nice area of stolen bases from those guys. Do you agree, Glenn? I totally agree. And I think, look at the people who said, all right, uh, I came out of my draft or my auction with a team that's lacking in, in steals. And that actually happened to us in the NFBC main event. And the first thing we did was jump in early on J1 Bay. And that changed the tenor of the team completely because you can find those guys. Sometimes they don't work out. Sometimes the Bryce Terangs don't run crazy or whatever. But you look at a guy like Bay and then a guy like Michael Franco who had, you know, something like 39 steals in the, not Michael Franco, Michael Garcia, excuse me, uh, you know, 39 steals in the minor leagues. And it, you can find that. I agree with Ruvain. You, The steals are going to be there. Right. Um, what about the playing for volume? Um, and, and, and I don't know if you do this, Glenn. Uh, do, do you sometimes just say, all right, let's pick some two-star pitchers to get some extra caves and wins? And if, if you do that, uh, is it too early to start doing that right now in the season? So I only do that if I like the either I like the pitcher or I like both matchups. But you get a guy who's, you know, pitching at Oakland and then but at Colorado or at Toronto, unless I love the pitcher stuff or somebody who came up or has a new pitch or something that says to me there's a reason to believe there's going to be success, I stay away from those bad two-start starters, the, you know, the, you know, Jordan Lyles of the world these days, um, I think they do more damage than they do good. Yeah, I agree. I, I've made it my mission not to do that this year as I had in the past, and so far it's working out as far as the ratios. I've got pretty good ratios in every single league I play in, other than GDD. <laughs> but well, that's that's I was about to say that in GDD, I was dead last in ERA and WHIP after I think three or four weeks in the season. I just threw out my middle relievers. I did. I'm I'm lacking in wins now, but now I'm middle of the pack to close to the top of the pack in ERA and WHIP. So you can make up those ratios if you decide to go after those two star pitchers this early on. I wouldn't go after those two star pitchers this early on because I I don't think you're I think it's spending your fab the the wrong way. You're going to spending so much fab now on these two star pitchers. Instead, look a week ahead or two weeks ahead, and who's going to be the two-star pitcher in two weeks? Get that future two-star pitcher now so because they're cheaper, much cheaper now than they would be, let's say, August or September, those future two-star pitchers. So if you're going to do that, don't look at this week. Look at next week and see if you can pick and choose because people are looking two weeks ahead. If you can steal the diamond in the rough from two weeks from now and get them for $2 now instead of instead of spending you know, in a $100 budget, instead of spending two, get $2 now instead of $8 next week, I think that's the way to go. All right, so let's talk about projections. And, uh, I mean, the listeners on this show know that we're very big into looking at projections. A lot of our computations for a player's worth is, in part, initially, I'd say, at least based on projections. We can change our minds afterwards, but our base of numbers it always starts from projections. Glenn, I know that you do look at projections, even if they're not entirely, uh, you know, your values aren't entirely based on that. Do you think it is too early to stop looking at preseason projections? Or let me broaden the question. Do you think it is too early to disregard what you thought of a player preseason right now? So, yes, it's too early to disregard what you thought, and yes, it is too early 
to disregard preseason projections. Whatever weight you put on the preseason projections, it is still one input. I'm not a guy who's ever said, all right, um, I'm going to, as much as I love ATC and, and the bat, the bat X and some others, I look at that. I want to know what the projection system says, but it's just one data point in my overall analysis of a player. And it is still just one data point. It hasn't really changed the weighting of it because I want to know, especially when guys get cut, right? And all of a sudden the name that you're surprised is on your waiver wire. You know what? Go back and look at the preseason projections and then you try to say, why is this guy not reaching these projections? Was there an injury? Was there some, you know, odd um, BABIP? Was there some um, unexplained inability to hit lefties or curveballs or whatever it may be? And I think that the preseason projections help you identify underpriced players on the waiver wire and underpriced players on the trade market. Yeah. I, I agree. I think it is too early to disregard all of your draft prep only in May. Sure, what 2023 has you know shown so far uh, definitely counts for something. And you know the year to date project. I'm sorry, the uh, rest of season projections. I should say do incorporate some of the current data. Right? I mean, you know, take Steamer for example. The way Steamer works is it looks at all of the past data points. Here's what happened in 2023. Here's what happened in 2022 and so on and so forth. It gives it a, sort of like a time delay or a latency. You know, stuff that happened recently counts more in terms of a player's outcome than stuff that happened earlier, but it does count. So, you know, what happened the last month does count. It receives some weight, probably more weight than any data point in 2022, but still you you have prior year's projections that do count more than the just the 2023 year-to-date figures. Um, Ruvain, do you agree? Is it too early to uh, stop looking at uh, the preseason valuations of players? I agree, and I think we should all be looking at the 2023 projections for prospects when they're coming up and pump the brakes a little bit when these top prospects come up because we're spending a, bun a boatload of fab on these guys, and if you look at the preseason projections, if you saw the preseason projections you wouldn't be spending that much money on it. So yes, it, you can continue to look at it. There are some cases when you could, I think, throw it out the window, the projections in some cases, but I think especially when it comes to the prospects, keep an eye on it and do do your due diligence when you put in a huge fab bid. Yeah, Glenn, we talked uh, on last week's show about uh, these ginormous fab bids that, that people are giving for these prospects, $300, 400 out of 1000 Um Well, what's your take on that? Uh, do, do you think that these... Very expensive bids. I, I know that you gotta if you want them, you gotta pay the price. But you know these Mason Millers that who knows if they're injured, who knows if they'll actually succeed. Do you think they're worth the, those enormous price tags that you have to pay to get them? I think it really depends on your team context. You know, if you are a team that was completely relying on you know Brandon Woodruff or or Jacob Degrom, and all of a sudden Bryce Miller is there, you know, you may really need to pay more. But the other thing is, remember that when you're buying five months of stats, that's worth more than buying two months of stats. So you have to wait the beginning of the season a little bit heavier as well. And, you know, if you are thinking when you pick up a Bryce Miller or a Mason Miller before he got hurt, that you're going to get 160 innings the rest of the way, well, then you're not thinking about it the right way. Think about it. They're going to put limits on these kids. 
And if what is he worth at a hundred good innings? And I think that's you know the way to think about it. But I have no problem taking a couple of shots at home runs on either big time strikeout pitchers, big time speed guys. I have no problem doing that. I just have to do it smartly. Do you think, Glenn, it is too early to believe in the 2023 year-to-date figures? So, you know, uh, Patrick Wisdom has gone off the charts and clobbered homers, uh, things like that. Is it too early to just completely say, wow, this guy has done it so successfully so far, something has to have changed with him, believe in him? So, yes, it's too early to come to the conclusion that it has to be. So you have to go and look for the why is it. You know, if, if I, I haven't looked at Patrick Wisdom's stats, but, you know, he's a guy who has bad contact rates historically, bad strikeout rates. Has there been a change in his ability to make contact or consistent contact? Is his home run to fly ball like 60% so that there's some oddball number? I'm making that up, of course. So I think you have to look at it and say, I need to figure out, is this real or is this noise? And I think you have to take it seriously enough because it's a reason to do the homework. It's a reason to dig into the causes. Ruvain, I'll ask you this the, the following way. You know, when you're looking to pick up players off the waiver wire and you're in the, the system, you're in, you know, whatever platform you're using, well, they're not showing projections in there. They're showing year-to-date figures. And very often, I do this too. You're looking at, all right, what has this player done year-to-date? What has this player done the last 14 days, 28 days, whatever your time horizon is? And, you know, all right, let's see. Let's bubble up to the top who's hit a lot of homers. Let's bubble up to the top who's had a lot of runs or at-bats. Uh, I mean, we're sort of doing that. Do, how do you how do you blend, you know, looking at the year-to-date figures with the fact that, you know, we know that some of it is, is a fluke and we, we want to base more on some of our preseason projections, right? But they're not those figures are not easily downloadable in your drafting software to connect with the free agents available. How, how do you blend the two to know how to pick up uh, on the waiver wire? Well, first of all, you're looking at the player and you're looking at the pedigree of the player, whether they've done this before. If they've never done this before, like you're talking about Patrick Wisdom or talking like a, a Yandy Diaz, I know he's not available, but a Yandy Diaz type who's never done what he's done, showed the power that he has, a, a Luke Rayleigh, who just hasn't never showed this power before. And he's still available in some of my 10-team leagues. He, I'm in one 10-team league. He's still available on the waiver wire. Do I really want to go after him or has the league made an adjustment for him? Because usually you'll see that adjustment made around this time. Time. The league will, the, around the league, everyone will have a notebook on players. They'll have enough statistical data to be able to create a counter attack for these players so they know how to go about attacking the, the player, where, they're, where they have their holes, where they have holes in the swing, what, what are they going to do about it. So I, I think usually toward the end of May, we'll see how the teams start correcting for these anomalies in the projections, if you want to call them that, and then you can have a better idea whether or not they'll do well. But as for searching the waiver wire, usually you can actually, if, if I'm looking at the season, I'm going to look also at the last two weeks for hitters, I'm going to look at the last three starts for a pitcher. If you see a trend that's different than what their overall stats show, then I think you should take that into consideration. Yeah, I really wish on Fangraphs they would allow us to import our leagues and you can see what free agents are available so you can overlay you know, what you currently think about a player versus what the projections say versus year-to-date and everything in nice neat bow with all the advanced stats. Uh, Glenn, how, how do you do it? How do you come through the waiver wire and take what you've done preseason and take what you see year-to-date? So I actually do it very manually, which is my way of doing things. And if you've seen me at the 
uh, draft or auction table. It's paper, pen, uh, a couple of colored pens, things of that nature. Uh, I go league by league. I don't try to lay the leagues together because every league is a little bit different in its rules or its strategies or the makeup of my team is different. And I sort by the various production that they've had so far. And I also just use the eye test. Why is this guy here? You know what I mean? Why is this guy on the wire? And I then pick the free agents in that league that I want to do a deeper dive into. Um, And it's worked pretty well for me. I've managed to identify the players I really want to chase and don't want to chase in each league. And it really is a function of, you know, making sure you look at most of the valuable free agents to make a decision. Do I want to chase this guy? Yeah, I I do a lot of manual stuff, too. Um I'm not exactly a paper and pen guy, but yeah, you're dealing with your individual leagues and you got to make decisions that are dependent, you know, for your your specific team situation. And I I do use the year-to-date numbers to bubble up. I like using uh percent owned. Uh that's a great way to bubble up players that hmm, why is this guy available? He he is owned in a lot of leagues and I try to look up the various ownership percentages of that player across different platforms, Yahoo, CBS, NFBC. That says a lot also and then I'll do the deep dives as well. Uh all right, next question, Glenn. Is it too early to take a victory lap? So for example, if you said, "Wow, I really got a I, I thought that uh, uh, Andy Diaz was going to be amazing, and I was right. Bum, 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 bum. <laughs> Is it too early to, to take a victory? Now, obviously, you know, you want to be a modest person. You don't want to go around and say, ah, I got this right. But, you know, internally, can you take a victory lap and say, got it? Oh, yeah. I'm patting myself on the back all the time. <laughs> you know, wow, look how smart I am. But... The reality is, fine, you had your fun, you patted yourself on the back, and then you realize it's still only less than 25% or whatever of the season, and, you know, it's too early for a victory lap. You get a month from now, and especially the players you picked up in the 25th round or for three bucks, you've already got a profit. Then then go ahead and take the victory lap. Yeah, I mean, uh, you know... Not to not to take the victory lap on Yandy Diaz, but ATC did project Yandy Diaz as the best value com- value compared to market, and obviously didn't project that he was going to be this good. Just that he would be a profitable buy, right? Uh, but I do think though that in terms of rest of season, like even even if he is goes back to his old ways for the rest of the season, you've still banked your profit. Right there's there's no way that your two dollar Yandy Diaz did not actually do good for you. Like it's it's banked in there. So because of that, I think it's okay to to basically say, all right, this guy was definitely uh, the right thing. Now pitching might be different though, because pitching, you know, let's take a guy like Pablo Lopez. Pablo Lopez has been absolutely enormous, and if you thought that he was the guy to take, kudos to you. But if he stinks the rest of the year. He could do damage to your ratios, whereas Andy Diaz, you know, it, it does damage to your batting average. Andy Diaz is a good batting average player, so it's probably not even going to happen, even if he goes back to his old home runways. But pitching could be a little bit different. Do you think there's a difference, pitchers versus hitters, in terms of declaring a victory lap? Uh, well, this guy is good, and I'm sure he'll be great the rest of the season for your team. Oh, definitely. I mean, pitchers have the 
blow-ups. And this year, the blow-ups have been really dramatic. Um, even pitchers I like have had these giant blow-ups. I mean, Braxton Garrett, I'm still a believer, but that blow-up was disaster. So you get a Pablo Lopez, and I like Pablo Lopez. I'm worried about his health, and I would defer to Ruvain on that. But if he goes out in his next start and give, you know goes three innings, nine runs, four walks, all of your profit has just <laughs> gone away, which is the difference between pitchers and hitters. Right. Ruvain, your take, and uh, what do you think of Pablo Lopez's health? Okay, Pablo, Pablo Lopez I'm not overly concerned about. I think I think his health will be managed throughout the course of the year. He, he did it last year, and I know he has a very short track record of managing it, Just but he's with a different organization. Maybe the Twins manage it differently than the Marlins do. As for taking victory laps... No, no victory laps now. You you drafted your team and you picked the players on your team based on the projections for an entire season. You can take the victory lap, let's say maybe end of August, beginning of September, saying, okay, I got this guy and he lasted and he did exactly what he was supposed to do throughout, throughout the whole season. If you if you do it too if you'd sing it too soon, you're, you're gonna are you, do you believe in jinxes? Are you gonna jinx the player? Is he gonna go back to normal? There are many different things that can that can trigger, and I think you can take a victory lap after the after it's been at least five five months into the season, like let's say toward the end of August, beginning of September, because that's when you can see whether or not your projections or whether or not how you evaluated them preseason actually panned out. All right, before we go any further, it's time for the injury gurus. Trivia of the week. So the next subject we're going to be talking about is we're talking about what should we do with struggling stars? Is it too early to count them out? So my trivia for this week is this. There are four players. Oh wait, let me count again. One, two, three. Sorry, there are five players who are have uh, WRC plus below 75 and have over 145 plate appearances, which means they're getting regular at-bats. They should be in most people's lineups, but there are four players that have a WRC plus below 75. 100 is nor is average. Glenn, can you name these five players? Oh my goodness, no, 100. I'm sure I can't. No, I'm, I'm, I'm sure you can. Just think of the players who are underperforming to, a, to, an, ex, to an extent and you'll, you'll get them. Can, can I guess Ahmed Rosario? Ahmed Rosario is not on there. You have to have 145 plate appearances. I tried okay. to get a threshold to show that they're being put out there day after day after day. Huh. Day after day. Oh, uh, uh, Jose Abreu. Jose Abreu yeah, is the lowest WRC+. Plus. He's at 46. He's Oof. number one on the list of players. Can you name any others? Hmm. I'm trying to think of the guys on my teams that... Um, might have done that, but I'm not sure I have those. Uh, Gunnar Henderson? No, not, 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 no. He, he hasn't had enough at-bats yet. How, um, how about the Mets' uh, Starling Marte? He's been terrible. N- not that terrible. Not, not that terrible. Okay. <laughs> Ryan McMahon, he's at really? 62. Okay. Elvis Andrews is at 54. Heimer Candelario, who's not a star, is 65. That was one I was just about to guess. Oh. But uh. Nolan Arenado is at 72. So, wow. Glenn... What do we do with these players? Are you are you sitting Jose Abreu, Nolan Arenado? Are you playing them? Are you trying to trade them? What are you doing with these guys? So I'm playing Arenado. I just think the entirety of the Cardinals team is in a giant funk, and I think they are going to come out of it. I think they're too good. I also think they're going to trade for a pitcher, and that's going to change the team around a little bit. Um, so I'm playing Arenado. Plus, he's go- they're not taking him out of the lineup. He's 
they're not taking that glove out of the lineup, so he's going to get to work through it. Jose Abreu, this is not new. Arenado was great last year. Abreu was not. So this is now the second year, or at least you know maybe a whole calendar year of bad play from Abreu, from an older player, and they have options there. So I am very tempted to sit Abreu at least until you know I see some signs of life. Heimer Candelario, I mean, he's never done it. I, I, I'm a, I was a believer this year, I have to admit, but now he's got some injury issues um, on a bad offensive team. I mean, he's certainly a guy that you can sit. Elvis Andrus, I mean, the whole White Sox team is bad. And by the way, I think Lennon Sosa has been worse than, than Andrus. Maybe Moncada comes back. I think Alberto's going to play second, and you might see Andrus sit. So I think you can sit Andrus as well. There might have been another name I missed in that group. Ryan, Mc, Ryan McMahon. Or, yeah, or, or th- even even a Juan Soto who's underperforming. I mean, he's he yes, he's getting on base. So if you're in, if you're in OBP league, that's fine. But I mean, he's not performing to first round status, second round status. You're not getting what you paid for. Well, but Soto has been pretty good in the last last let's say week or yeah, so. Yeah, he's right? starting I mean, to Soto's starting to come around. I mean, he's got slowly. an OPS over a th- over a thousand in the last week and over twelve hundred in the last two weeks. So I think I think Juan Soto's back. The others, I'm with you. Do, do you think, Glenn, it's the argument of, you know, I spent so much draft capital on somebody, so, you know, I spent a top eight round pick uh, for a player. It's just too early to give up on them. Like, do, do you see it as a line of above this line, I mean, meaning above this draft capital uh, that you've spent is just, just you know, got to let it got to let it go? Is there some line for you that does it? Uh, obviously, it's player by player specific situation, but... You know, do you have that in mind as I spent so much on him, I gotta let it turn around? I do, but it's not because, oh, I took Juan Soto in the first round. It's because I had a reason to take Juan Soto in the first round. You know, and so his age, his ability, the, the team context, none of that's changed. You know, and so I think it's because I really believed six weeks ago, I still believe today. I think. You get down to guys that you didn't take till the 10th round or the 11th round or they were single-digit auction buys. Then I think, ah, you didn't believe that much before, so it's a little easier to cut bait. So if you have a guy like Josh Bell, who in a in a mixed league, let's say, I don't think you're cutting him in a uh, in a mono league, but we have him in Tout Wars AL, so I hear you. Yeah, I've got him in Tout Wars mixed, uh, 12 team head to head, but you know, spent. $10 on him, let's say, you know, which is not ridiculous amount, but it's not $2. Is that something that you think it's too early, or is the $10 threshold? Or how about a guy like Tyler O'Neill? Uh, Tyler O'Neill, I spent $16 on in one or two leagues. Ooh, now he's injured, so, you know, if I have an IL spot, then I have him there. But is it too early to, to cut bait on some of these guys? So I think it's too early for Josh Bell, right? I mean, this is a guy who's still getting on base, right? I mean, you take a look, and I told, if I would have told you, all right, do you want a guy who's got a 15% walk rate and a 19% K rate and getting on base at almost a 340 clip, you'd say, all right, I'm pretty interested, right, in, in that player and a guy whose hard hit rate's around 40%, so that's, you know, pretty decent. It's not phenomenal, but it's pretty decent. You know, max EV over 110, you'd say, mm, you know, I think there's still, still room for him. As for Tyler O'Neill. I see him getting traded, so I'm holding him to wait till he gets traded for a pitcher. 
Yeah, he's, he's a head case thing. What What about the injury situation? Like, I, I'm sorry, you know, it's one of your Yankees, but Carlos Rodon, uh, who knows if he's going to come back. If you have an IL slot in your league, sure, that's not an issue. But if you're like in an NFBC setting or uh, an ESPN where you have very limited IL, is it time to cut bait on Carlos Rodon and say, you know what, it probably ain't going to happen. Let's just cut bait on him. So I think the answer is in a league like the NFPC main event or where you can really only afford one player like that. And maybe you have Stanton or Altuve or Woodruff or whatever. You can't have two like that. And, you know, I have no shares at all of Rodon, which is not a surprise because Rick and I play by the rule of don't pay full value for a big money free agent in first year, which Carlos Rodon is. And the Yankees are going to be thinking about this differently. They'll be happy if he's healthy on September 1st. Whereas if you're the Royals, you need him pitching today. So that counsels against him giving you a lot of roto value because the Yankees are only motivated to get him ready for for the last, you know, four to six weeks of the season at this point, in my opinion. Now, great points there. Ruvain, is it too early to count out struggling stars? I mean, you mentioned Juan Soto, who's turning it around now. How about a guy also like Corbin Burns, who just looks a little bit off this year. Is it too early to count on him as being an ace? Yeah, I think it's too early to count him out. I th- it's For pitchers, it does take a little bit longer to get going. I even throw in Max Scherzer there because how reliable has he been over his last few starts? He's been hurt. He, he, may, he may be having the same thing that um, that Carlos Rodon, how the Mets manage him. Not the same injury, but how the Mets manage him. They want to make sure that he gets to the finish line in order to help you. Um, in, in those leagues... I, you know, you have to play them. I mean, what other options are you going to do? You're going to you're going to get a, a pitcher off the waiver and throw him in there. I I'd rather you know you spent this big uh, the, the big money on these guys like like a Corbin Burns or a Max Scherzer. If you don't play them, you know you should. I think you should just live and die with them. I mean, you, you that's what you got them. That's what you built your team around. If you're going to stop it and, and flip the flip the script, I mean, that's going to be a very hard thing to do in mid season. Yeah, Glenn, do you think it, it, there's a difference between hitter and pitcher in terms of struggling stars bouncing back? On, only if you can identify things that tell you it looks like an injury. You know, a pitcher who's typically, you know, average velocity, 96, and he's throwing 92. Mm, you know, there's something wrong there. All of a sudden, you see a pitcher who has abandoned a critical pitch, and you think they must then, – then I think you can see things that are going on. But generally, I think it's too early to abandon anyone you believed in just six weeks ago. Yeah. The only thing I'll say about this whole general topic of either struggling stars bouncing back or cutting bait on players is um, not only is it a case-by-case player by by the player, it really depends on your team situation. And I know it's early now, but you know, generally speaking, if your team is in last place or towards the bottom— you need more than just some expected stats. Like, you, you can't just bank on some expected stats of players. You need some upside. So having a Carlos Redon, even if he comes back for the last two months of the season, you, your team might need it. Like, you may not be able to win without that. And to cut bait on that for, a you know, some seventh, number seven starter on your team – you probably need more than just that. Like the volume alone and just the expected production alone is probably not going to do it. But if you're at the top, if you're in second place, let's say, you want, you need that expected production. You can't sit 
and and wait for a pitcher to come back or not come back and who knows how it'll be. You're not looking at the upside. You're looking at the 50th percentile. You're looking at, I need to bank stats. I just need the at-bats. I need the innings. I need the Ks. So I think it really matters where you are in the standings as far as how you manage some of these cuts uh, of, or, or, you know, benching of players, things like that. But wouldn't it also matter what league you're in? If you're in a league that has a playoffs and you want to hold on to these guys just in case they do come back and you can use them in the playoffs, that's another consideration. Oh, for sure. If you're in a, a, yeah, if you're in a playoff league, you're probably keeping Carlos Rodon just, just in case he comes back in September you can use them. Uh, I, I would definitely hold on to him for at least another month till you get more of a of a expected return date, right? Yeah. Oh, yeah. Especially in a head to head league, no question. All right. Now it's time for some waiver wire picks. That's where we tell you, the listener, a couple of players that we're thinking about picking up this week in Fab. All right. Let's start with you, Glenn, who is a player or two that you might consider this week. I'm going to go to the bullpen here, and I know everyone is all excited for Liam Hendricks to come back, and I think it's so phenomenal that he's healthy and and pitching, but, you know, they're not going to pitch him three nights in a row all the time, even when he does come back, and there's a guy in that bullpen, which is really underperformed, that has looked nasty, and that's coming out of nowhere, Kanon Middleton, 21% swinging strike weight, 15K per nine, and he's throwing two really nasty pitches a 28 swinging strike rate on the change 20 on the slider you could really steal some good strikeouts get some saves maybe some vultured wins and he's not going to cost almost anything yeah swinging strike rate of 21 percent uh he'll probably take over some save ops in the short term um Ronaldo Lopez has looked so bad he, oh, bad. he was terrible today oh. also he's been terrible all right uh Ruvain, how about you who's a player or so that you like to pick up I actually got three outfielders that I'm looking at right now because you never can never have enough outfielders. Uh, Christopher Morell from the Cubs. He's only owned in 35% of CBS leagues. He's hitting so far with the playing time he's got. Last year, he did have 16 home runs with 10 stolen bases, and he was caught seven times, which means he ran a lot. So that's something, if you need stolen bases, he's a guy to get. And AAA so far this year, he was batting 330 with 11 homers and four stolen bases. The only person blocking him right now, either at DH or in the outfield, I mean, Eric Hosmer is clogging up the DH right now. I don't know how much longer that's that's going to be. I mean, that's why they, they called up Matt Mervis, and they're putting him there. But Morell is eligible at second and in the outfield. So if he's available, you need some stolen bases, you need some short-term power he's a guy you can definitely look at another guy to look at who has power who just came back off the injured list and may, may be available in a lot of leagues he's only owned in 21 percent of cbs leagues and that's randall grechuk he homered against the mets well seems like everyone did but he's had hits in every game he's played so far that's he has a nine game hitting streak coming off of the injury he looks good he plays in colorado he's going to play almost every day out there in colorado if you if you need a good a source of power there that's, that's perfect and another guy for speed if you want him is leody Tavares. he's batting 417 over the last week with four rbis and a stolen base he's known for his speed he's only owned in nine percent of cbs leagues so he's available so we mentioned before you don't have to punch stolen bases i just mentioned two guys who can give you stolen bases you don't have to punt homers you got a guy with there with homers with greek as well yeah, I have Grichuk on almost every team. I actually drafted him in most teams, uh, knowing that he would come back coming back soon and got him for like a buck in a lot of deep leagues. So 
There you go. Uh, Christopher Morell, it's interesting with, uh, you know, Cubs calling up Mervis. It means that they, I think they, they mean business. They see some struggling Cardinals. They want to make a run, maybe the fan base. Uh, and he's been great. He's four for eight since he's called up. He's got that power speed combo. Uh, he's he's not owned in a lot of leagues. He's only owned forty percent of CBS leagues. Um, it, it's got to mean that Hosmer's out of there. Hosmer's WRC plus is seventy four. Um, I, I I would imagine that Christopher Morell's WRC plus is going to be more than seventy four. So we're talking days before Hosmer's DFA. I mean, they pay literally the minimum league league salary. So. Um, any other uh, to add, uh, Glenn? Yeah, I'll give you a couple of other relievers. You know, we talked about always trying to chase down these saves. I mean, the Yankee bullpen, Clay Holmes, it's it's not pretty when he comes in and you're biting your nails, uh, just worried about it. And Ian Hamilton has quietly been really good. He's raised his uh, velocity from 94 to 96 miles an hour, 16% almost swing strike rate plus a 60% ground ball rate. You keep the ball, you're getting people to swing and miss and you're keeping the ball on the ground in the Yankee Stadium, that's a prescription for success. And, you know, a bullpen, another bullpen that's been really bad is the Cubs bullpen. And don't look now, but Mark Leiter's got a 16% swing strike rate and he's keeping the ball on the ground. He's getting some save opportunities. So I like both the, I, those players plus Middleton, very, very cheap might steal you some saves worth doing. Yeah, I was going to mention Mark Leiter. He's got 25 Ks in 16 innings, .94 whip, only 20% owned, and the Cubs can't figure out who it is, and this guy looks like he has the best skills. So there you go. I'm surprised you didn't mention uh, Michael King. Uh, is that because you think he's over-owned right now? I think it's because I th- I don't think they're going to give him the opportunity to close. First, it's two, two reasons. Number one is they're being very careful with him. He rarely pitches back-to-back games. And second, I think they like him in the one, you know, the five-out, six-out situation. Um, So I just don't think they're going to want to move him to the closer role. I think if he pitches a great eighth inning and has some bullets left in the arm for the ninth, they may leave him in, steal a save that way. But I don't think they look at him as as a closer. I would argue that makes him more valuable. Like he's he's basically the Chad Green of this year, and that's super valuable in in roto leagues. You know, in fifteen team mixed or or deeper, you're getting great ratios and great strikeouts. I mean, you might get six seven strikeouts a week. That's probably better than than starters. You know, that at the bottom for you. So I, I I like him even if he doesn't get saves, and he'll probably get one here and there. Look, I can't argue with that logic. That makes sense. I'm just uh, I have a lot of leagues where. There were so few lockdown closers and the draft capital it took to get Classe or, or, or Romano or Hader was so great that I have a lot of teams where I'm just looking to steal saves wherever I can. Yep. How about Yenny or Cano, who's only 40% owned? Oh, uh, love it. Yeah, this is he's got a .16 whip. No, that's not a 1.6 whip. .16. He's three hits in, the, in his first 18 and two-thirds innings. Um, here's an interesting thing I saw the other day. He has 14 appearances. It is the lowest whip for any 14-appearance stretch of any pitcher, period, in the entire modern baseball area, like maybe the last you know, 80 years or so. The lowest whip of any 14-appearance stretch, and that's the first 14 appearances this season. He's, he's just enormous. And if you saw the, these hits that he had, those are not even hits. These are like uh, two of them were infield hits. Like, like just silly stuff. And, by the way, he's got three saves so far. He uh, he can vulture wins. Uh, 
I mean, I have him in a couple of leagues. We own him, Ruben, we own him in the NFBC league where we also have Batista. So it's insurance, if anything else. And I like these middle – I mean, the ratios you're getting is just enormous from these guys. Yeah, he's he's been he's been just phenomenal, and like you said, he if if Batista pitches too many innings, he comes in and he gets the save. So if you if you have Batista, he actually makes you more, it makes it more valuable for you to have him on your roster. Brings back memories of Greg Olson and Mark Williamson in the old days for the O's. There you go. I mentioned one other guy, uh, JJ Blade. He's back up. Uh, new team, new scenery. He looks great. Three homers. Eight-game hitting streak since he's back. He's batting 379. Um, maybe the A's have worked on their, his swing or whatever it is. The results are there. High prospect, really didn't do great last year. Um, he has a chance of being the, dare I say, the most valuable player in fantasy on the athletics. I don't think it's a huge stretch, actually, to think that. Uh, I think it's Ruiz and his whatever, oh, yes. 20s yeah, or whatever. Yeah, but yeah, yeah. I, I'm yeah. with you on Blade, and you know what it is? You've got a strikeout rate that was 28%, you know, last year, and is now 16%. That's the difference. Yeah. No, totally. It's it's just night and day for him. I mean, he's got a 237 WRC plus, but yeah, the walks are the walks are there. The the strikeout rate is just down. Uh, that that's what you want to see. So I think that the change of scenery did, did something, uh, and that often happens with players. All right, let's do the pitcher preview. That's pitchers who we're thinking about picking up for this week. Could be a two-star pitcher, a good one-start matchup, something to help us out short-term. Glenn, you go first. Who's the pitcher that you're interested in? So I'm going to go uh, a little scandalous here. And I'm going to say Lance Lynn, as bad as he has Ooh. been, as bad as he's been, gets wow. Cleveland and Kansas City. So you get two solid matchups. But you take a look at the numbers. The 7-5 ERA is gross, but the 3-8-5 XFIP is not gross. And you got his CSW, his cold strike plus uh, whiffs, is actually better than last year. His swing strike rate is still solid. His VLO is still there. I think he's gotten dramatically unlucky and doesn't look like a pitcher who's lost it. So I'm willing to roll the dice in a deep league with those two matchups. Yeah, it's got to be a home run problem. And anytime uh, his FIP, by the way, is 5.3. Anytime you see, for, for you uh, listeners out there, anytime you see a FIP, which is two runs over the XFIP, it means that it's a home run problem. Because what XFIP, the difference between XFIP and FIP, XFIP assumes a league average home run rate instead of whatever your pitchers are. So uh, his home run to fly ball rate is 22.4. Um, the league average is closer to, let's say, 15. So, yes, yeah, so it's probably a home run problem. Will it persist? I don't know. His BABIP is also out of whack. So, yeah, he's obviously been been pretty unlucky. Um, but, yeah, maybe that's uh, how he writes his ship. He looked great in the World Baseball Classic this year. So, you know, maybe that was just some unluckiness and take a chance. All right, Ruvain, how about you? I got two pitchers. One is a two-star pitcher if you want to take that risk. Uh, Matt Stram, 31% owned in CBS. In his last three starts, 21 strikeouts and 14 innings. He does have a four-and-a-half ERA in those starts, in those starts but he's at San Francisco and home against the Cubs. Those are pretty two good, decent starts. Now, it is possible there is an outside chance, I'm not saying it's going to happen, there's an outside chance that Ranger Suarez gets called up and Stram goes back to the bullpen, but if he if Stram is able to start, I think those are two pretty good matchups. 
Another guy I want to mention who's only 20% owned in CBS, Dane Dunning. He took the rotation spot of Jacob deGrom. He's made two starts so far this year, 11 innings, 8 strikeouts, an ERA of 1.64 and .91. So that's pretty good. The Rangers have been good. They've they've been racked there in first place, which is, you know, very surprising. One of the more surprising teams in the league. And he's been doing pretty well. So they're not certain when he's going to start next, but if he does start, he's a guy to look for. Yeah, and Dane Dunning, great for uh, points leagues because he's a spar. He's a starting pitcher as a reliever. You can put him in as a relief pitcher there. Um, uh, I'm going to go with uh, J.P. France, uh, 30% owned, pitches on a good team, um, and he's filling in for the injured and Tommy John, Luis Garcia. First start against Seattle was a good one. He's playing Chicago Cubs this week, so good matchup. 34% strikeout rate in the minors last year. So he's a guy with stuff. He does have a high walk rate, so it's a guy who just has stuff and needs to throw strikes. Let's see what happens. Very similar to, I think, Hunter Brown on the same team. So let's, let's uh, you know, let's see what happens. Uh, if you're in a deep league, I would definitely take a chance, maybe even a 12-team league if you think it's a good matchup and you have a spot. Um, and I think Minnesota is doing a really great job with pitchers. Pablo Lopez, Bailey Ober, uh, and Louis Varland. I think that those are two interesting names. Louis Varland, still 35%. We mentioned him last week. Uh, he's playing at the Angels this week. 20 strikeouts in 16 innings, 14% swinging strike rate, and he's been very unlucky with an 86% strand rate. You can ignore that. I think that Varland is very interesting for deep leagues, and Bailey Ober, I think, has uh, shown that he can get things done. So I like them. Minnesota's a good team so far. Uh, I would pick up the pair of twins if they're available in your league. Anyone else? Anyone? I kind of still like Peyton Battenfield. I mean, he's going up at Chicago. Typically, uh, the White Sox park is not a great park to pitch in, but the White Sox are not hitting. Battenfield's a guy who has three pitches with a 12 or more swinging strike rate, which is really nice, and the cutters is at 18 and a half, and he's keeping the ball on the ground at 48%. So the, the tools are all there for him to succeed. Yeah, and he's two start the following week. He gets the White Sox this week, and then the White Sox again. And another team that like what what the pitchers are doing, uh, the the uh, the the Guardian. I almost said Indians. The Guardians. You got uh, Logan Allen. You got Bybee. Um, Bieber looks good this year. I don't know how long that'll last, but he looks good. Quantrill looks good. I like what the Guardians have been doing. So yeah, Peyton Battenfield could be interesting as well. All right, Ruvain. Injury update time. Let's see what's happening this week. Well, we'll start with a player, couple players we mentioned already, and that's Tyler O'Neill. He was placed on the aisle with lower back strains, but Cardinals manager Oliver Marmol already said that he may begin a rehab assignment next Tuesday, so this coming week. So he may be back by the end of next week, which is possible. But what was very interesting to me is that who did the Cardinals call up when he got injured? It wasn't Jordan Walker. It was Juan Yepes. So if you want to take a, a waiver wire on Juan Yepes, and if, if he starts hitting when O'Neill comes back, they may keep him up. He may have a, you know, a good outfield um, a possibility there. Jose Alvarado, who's placed on the aisle with left elbow inflammation. The MRI showed no structural damage. He's going to be shut down for a couple of days. Phillies said they're going to quote unquote take it slow. So like Glenn mentioned, Craig Kimbrough is a good possibility, but don't forget about Sir Anthony Dominguez and Gregory Soto. They both have histories closing, closing, and they both can do it as well. Max Fried and Kyle Wright. Poor Atlanta Braves. They're in first place, and they can't keep anyone healthy. 
Um, Kyle Wright, he was placed on the aisle with a right, sh- right, right shoulder inflammation for the second time this year. He, he himself said he's going to be out for at least two months. So if you've spent a lot of money on him, I think he may be a guy you can possibly drop just because two months from now, you're looking at, what, end of July, beginning of August, and you don't even know where you're getting back because shoulder injuries are very fickle, so you never know what's going to happen with that. And Max Fried, a strained left forearm, he's being shut down, and he's also going to miss an extended period of time, possibly almost two months as well. I wouldn't go dropping him because Max Fried has a better track record but people to keep in mind jared schuster was called up and mike soroka keep him i mentioned him last week in the waiver wire uh, uh portion of the show mike soroka they're keeping him down they didn't call him up yet they want to get a few more innings under his belt before they call him up they, they weren't expecting to call him up this soon but they are thinking about it and because of the injuries he may come up sooner than later Elo Jimenez, appendicitis, poor baby. He had his appendix taken out and then got some ice cream. And now he gets to miss four to six <laughs> weeks. Billy Hamilton was called up, and he went on the aisle. So now they have Jake Marisnik helping out in the outfield. That's how bad that outfield depth is getting right there. Let me end on some positive notes here. Corey Seager, he has been on the aisle since early April, but manager Bruce Bochy said that Seager is expected to return early during the Rangers' next homestand, which is next week. He began playing rehab assignments actually today. And Liam Hendricks, he is currently on his rehab assignment. He could be activated next week. That doesn't mean you should start him next week. I don't think they're going to throw him right into the closer role, but it is possible that in two weeks from now, he will be the closer for the White Sox. Uh, you know what? I think they might just throw him into the closer role. Um, he's, he looks like he wants it uh, right away, and I don't know. The, the closer so far hasn't been great. By the way, I wasn't laughing at at the injury. Uh, I, I, was laughing, I was laughing at the eye. The ice cream line that you uh, that you mentioned. <laughs> well, listen, Eloy Jimenez has all these weird injuries. He got hurt trying to climb a fence in spring training. He gets well, all these freak injuries. Sometimes, you know, if you don't cry about it, you have to laugh about it. So I'm not I'm not making fun of it either. I'm just saying that. Listen, my son had his appendix removed, so I know I know what it's like going through. I know what's like having a a sibling uh, a child going through it. So I understand that. But it's a matter of the fact that the White Sox they just can't seem to catch a break well that's the end of our show here I want to thank glenn colton for coming on the show glenn glenn what's uh what's going on with you these days uh well why don't you tell us uh, uh where we can uh, see all your stuff and of course the uh serious xm colton and the wolfman show tuesday nights definitely you should listen that's uh, i put it on every time as i'm driving back and forth from softball or pickleball whatever i have that night all right well definitely thank you for listening we got to get you on the show again sometime soon it is uh on sirius xm at xm 87 tuesday nights 10 to midnight eastern uh seven o'clock out on the west coast and i'm also on twitter at glenn colton one um not writing right this minute over at fantasy alarm but i imagine that uh i'll be making my return in the not too distant future sounds good uh Ruben, uh well how about your stuff you can follow me on Twitter at MLB Injury Guru, where I tweet out all these injury updates and more next man up, everything like that. I also have an article every weekend coming out on Rotoballer discussing all these injuries more in depth, who's the next man up, and what to expect. And I'm Ariel Cohen. You can see my work over at Fangraphs, over at Rotoballer. The ATCNY is my Twitter handle. You know, uh, ATC projections. Now our rest of season. We finally have that. Check them out at Fangraphs. That's the only place right now it is on. So check that out. And, of course, you can listen to us every week right here on the Beat the Shift podcast presented by Fangraphs. 
Uh, it's been a blast. Thank you so much once again to Glenn Colton for coming on the show. We'll be back next week. And from all of us here at Beat the Shift, we'll see you next time. Thanks for listening to the Beat the Shift podcast presented by Fangress. Follow us on Twitter at beat underscore shift underscore pod.